Yeah, Brother Sister Mullins here, all the way from Canada. Amen. And I appreciate it. He told me they had, I think they had some other time planned, but he decided he wanted to work things out where he could come and be at the conference this week. And I really, really appreciate him making that sacrifice. I really do. That means a lot to me. I've asked him if he would preach for us today since he's here. We don't get to see him that often. And hopefully we'll get to see him once a year at least now. Hopefully he'll be able to, to come and, uh, um, and, and, and be a part of our conference each year. And we just kind of adopt him into the, into the Balch Springs family. He preached some revivals in my home church some years ago, preached for my pastor. But we're glad to have them here today. Amen. I want him to come. I want him to take his liberty today. Love this man and his precious wife. Come, take your liberty. Preach to us what God's put on your heart, brother. God bless you. Thank you, Elder Brigham. So good to be back in the house of God today. And uh, I only want to be as long as what you listen today. When you stop listening, I'll stop talking. And uh, man, I got I got some stuff here I'd like to say, but before I get there, uh, I want to say how much I appreciate Brother Riggin. And I read something today, Elder, that reminded me of you. So, so I hope this is okay. But you know, uh, what I read was this: They said people will forget what you say, and they'll forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you make them feel. And I thought of this man because he's always, always, to me, uh, he gives me hope that I can make it. He makes me feel good about myself when I don't like me. Now, you, you, you go, oh, you learn what that means. But I'm not a nice person by nature. By nature, oh, Lord. That's why I needed God. And on my bad days, I think about men like Brother Riggin that make, make words mean something. See, words got power. And, and they, got, they got power to kill and make alive. Ah, oh, Brother Riggin. Brother Riggin, you know, you, you have a way of making people believe they can make it. To me, that's important. And that's one of the reasons why, why I wanted to come to this conference. Because these men, they make you believe you can make it. And... and what I had going on, basically, Brother Reagan, was I had surgeries going on, and I just had one before I come down, and they were going to do injections and stuff, and so I had to get all, all taken care of, but thank God he worked it out that we could come and be part of this, this conference and visit with y'all, and I'm, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do. Anyhow, uh, we better read a scripture and let you be seated. I don't, I want to keep you standing. Um, turn to the book of Matthew. Uh, chapter number 6 we'll look at a portion of scripture here Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 uh, this is this is commonly called the Lord's Prayer actually it was a prayer he told his disciples to pray he said after this manner therefore pray ye our Father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And if you'll help me pray a quick prayer, let's be seated. Would you pray with me right now and ask God to talk to us? God, we love you. We ask, Lord, that you talk to us today in this house. Speak to our spirit, God. Encourage us, Lord, with your word. God, bless this people today and this good, good elder. In Jesus' name, we need your anointing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. I realize today that sometimes in order to help people, you've got to hurt people to birth a change in them. And that's not easy for the person doing the hurting or the person that has to hurt. But sometimes in order for change to happen, you've got to hurt. It's just part of the process. And um, I, I think of this so often also. Uh, my son-in-law and I were talking, coming over. You know, um, when men or women, when they operate in the realm of power, um, power tends to destroy whatever it touches. It's so much different than, than authority. And, and where power is a destroyer, authority is a builder. And, and when you think about people that speak to you and sometimes their words hurt, you have to look at the origin of the words. Who's doing the talking? What's the purpose behind them? And you might think sometimes when your pastor gets up there, he says certain, certain things and and it cuts you to the quick, and you think, that, that hurts so much, Pastor. Well, you know what? You have to look at what he's trying to do. He's trying to birth change in you with the help of God. I wish, I wish so many times I could go back and rewind the clock in my own life and, and do things different, but that's not possible. And so what I, what I want to do is I, I want to be a builder of people, not a wrecker. Let me read something to you. Let me read something to you. I, I found this again online. I got it on my phone. Pardon me for not writing it down, but uh, I'd have to pray for an interpretation to what I wrote. So This little, this little poem says, it says, I watched them tear a uh, building down, a gang of men in a busy town with a ho-heave-ho ho and a lusty yell. They swung a beam and a sidewall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled and the men you hire or if you wanted to build? He gave a laugh and said, no, indeed, they're just common labor. That's all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I, or am I a wrecker who walks the town, content with the labor of tearing down? Oh Lord, let my life be and my let my life and my labors be that which will build for eternity. Everybody we touch, we're going to either build them up or we're going to tear them down. So I, I purpose, I purpose to be a builder, not a wrecker. I uh, had a had a little job to do it was in the house that my pastor uh, was going to live in. And it was a strange thing because I was in that house 20 plus years back and when the guy built the kitchen 
and they were trying to decide, should we build a new kitchen? While they're deciding, I've got a 10-pound sledgehammer in my hand. And I'm the kind of guy, I don't want to debate, just turn me loose, and I'll just fix it and build it and destroy it and build it, whatever. And I looked at pastor's wife, and I said, do you want a new kitchen? She said, yes, and that's all she said. I started swinging. <laughs> and what that guy took weeks to build, I destroyed in less than five minutes. You ought to be thankful today for the leadership that you have. I believe he's build, He's a builder, not a wrecker. But let's, let's hurry. Let's hurry today. You know, uh, after this, this reading, I thought, uh, you know, it's odd that after all of what the Lord had said about prayer and forgiveness, Peter asked him later in Matthew chapter 18, he said, Lord, how oft? shall I forgive my brother? You know, we're, we're faced every day with decisions and questions and alternatives, choices in life. Peter's question is odd to me. After hearing all this stuff about forgiveness and prayer and unity, and then you ask, how often should I forgive my brother? It almost makes me want to ask, Peter, what is wrong with you? But obviously something was in Peter's spirit that was agitating him. You know, I suppose there's thousands and thousands of lessons and messages and Sunday school lessons and Bible studies and even pages of commentaries that deal with what we call the Lord's Prayer. But the only comment that Jesus really had about it was the last what he said. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but but, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. That's what his comment on the Lord's Prayer was. He almost makes it the second unpardonable sin. Now, this English word, but, it's just a three-letter word, but it's huge in Peter's mind. He could not get away from this, this, this little word. How oft shall my brother offend me? And and I forgive him. How often shall he sin against me? Well, Jesus' prayer, we know, was not one of arithmetic. You know, 490 times. It wasn't about arithmetic. It was about biblical principle. And you have to, you have to consider um, this principle. How, how, how do you love your brother? How much do you love him? Do you love him with grace? You know, we do well when we don't keep offenses, track of them, you know. Peter had him a little black tally book, and he just kept record. And what Jesus was really saying was, Peter, throw that little black book away. I'm, I'm often reminded of in talking to couples over the years, and, it, and it's not very long in the conversation when you're trying to help them. Uh, it turns into a he said, she did, he said, he did. And really what they're doing is they're getting that little black book out, and they're reading it page by page. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to have a success in living for God, you've got to throw the black book away. That little tally book you keep record of, every time somebody says something wrong, every time somebody does something wrong and it gets in your spirit, you've got to throw that book away. Forgiveness is, is infinite. And any attempt to limit forgiveness demonstrates your lack of it. 
he said, he said like this in Mark eleven twenty five. He said, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. For forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Now, we like the Lord to forgive us. But why is it so hard for us to forgive someone else? Oh, Joseph, we talk a lot about Joseph. We kind of wear him out by times, but he's a classic example of forgiveness. And if, if anybody had a right to harbor a grudge, it was Joseph. But, but look at what he said. In Genesis chapter 45 and verse 5, he said, You sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Joseph did not hold the fact that his brother sold him into slavery against them. There's no scripture to indicate that Joseph's tenderness was a result of his brother's repentance. They didn't even know who he was uh, when, when they met. But do you suppose that Joseph could have risen to the place of prominence that he did if he kept that little tally book? Right? I think it was Joseph's forgiving spirit that caused God to push him and elevate him to the top. So you might sit out there this morning and say, well, must I forgive? Can I forgive? Well, what does it mean to really forgive? There's many, I suppose, misconceptions this morning because most people have never really learned what it is to truly forgive. Do you know one of the hardest things for them to do it's because um, there's a conviction in our mind that somebody has to pay for the wrong that was done to me. Our human nature cries out for justice. Forgiveness is just too easy for the offender. Someone has to pay. I mean, it just doesn't seem logical for it to happen any other way, right? So then, if you use logic, then there must be alternatives to forgiveness. Well, let's, let's set the Bible aside for a second, and we'll see. I will, I will play lawyer today. Let's look at something here. Let's take this for an alternative. Let's take retaliation. Now, my Irish nature rises up. And says, ha ha, ah, I like that, retaliation, revenge, strike back, get even, don't let them get away. The evildoer needs to pay, make him suffer. Can't afford to let her off that easy, look what she said, look what he did. Well, let me reassure you this morning, you can't afford not to let them off. You see, re retaliation simply puts the guilt and the shame not on them, but on me, on you. The whole object of revenge is to get even, but, but does it really get even? All it does is it drags you and I down to the same level as the person that offended us. It justifies their actions, if you please. 
and it becomes a license to further offend. So logically then, retaliation is not really a valid alternative to, to forgiveness. But I know another one. Let's try restitution. That's a good one. That's a good one. Surely we are entitled to this if we can't get even. See, our sense of justice demands it. We've, we've got to be paid, and not just paid, but paid in full. And perhaps even with interest. You see them go to the altar, and they're trying to get right, trying to make things right. You stand back and say, yes, that's right. You need to cry a bucket load of tears for what you did to me. Restitution, however, you know, any serious investigation into this alternative concludes that this is virtually impossible because no number of repeated favors that that person would do for me will make up for the hurt and damage they did. It's not going to fix a ruined reputation. No amount of money that they could give me would ever replace the presence of something they destroyed. Nothing that they have of any value would be enough to remove hurt or shame that they caused me. So that kind of doesn't work. So restitution is not a logical alternative for forgiveness either. So I know what I'll do. This one, this one kind of goes along with old Irish nature, Brother Riggin. Um, resentment. Resentment. That, that, that'll work. Resentment. Let me resent them. The word, English word resentment comes from two words. One is re and the other is centire, and it simply means re, to feel, uh, rather again, and centire, to feel. So it means to feel again. So, so my carnal nature reaches for the next best thing. That every time I see them, it will trigger resentment in me. And I'll feel all the old feelings, the anger, and the, the self-justification. I'll feel it all over again. And I'll hold that grudge. And I'll make sure when I write it in my black book that it pushes through about 50 pages deep. I won't let it go. How many times have you ever been told, well, you just got to let that go? Oh, Elder Davis, that's what he said. You just got to let that go. I remember sitting across the IHOP from him. And, Brother, you, you just got to let that go. That... That used, to, that used to make me so aggravated. You, what do you mean I just got to let it go? It's just not that easy. They have to pay. You convince yourself that resentment feels good. Oh, can, brother, can I just talk to married people for a little bit? Here it is. It's 47 years ago, and you know, I'm 20 years old. I know everything about me married, and don't you tell me I don't, okay? We'd got married. We were having one of them sessions of intense fellowship. And I'm, I'm the grown-up of this marriage, and so I got me a newspaper. That's what you do, see now? You guys, you big guys, you smart guys, you get your newspaper, okay? A magazine. And you give her the silent treatment. Because really, you don't have enough jam to answer her argument anyway. So it's safer to hide behind the magazine. Now listen, I was smart enough to realize she was raised with the Bible. And she could quote more scripture than you ever thought she could quote. 
She'd walk by me, Brother Riggins. She'd say, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And behind that newspaper, I am just frothing mad. So, I'm on sundown. She's heading for the bedroom. She walked by me. She say, the Bible said, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. See, I had convinced myself that being resentful felt good. But who is hurt the most by hatred and bitterness that resentment engenders, the attitude so filthy and so obviously wrong, that so unspiritual? Who's hurt the most by it? The person that takes it to themselves. You see, resentment sours the sweetest disposition. It breaks the closest ties. It destroys the strength of the healthiest bodies. There are literally dozens of illnesses attributed by medical science today to what we call stress. Which is really nothing more than a burden we don't need to carry. In fact, if you really look at resentment very close, it's only a thin cover for hate. You know what he said in the Old Testament? This is Old Testament. I think it's Leviticus 17. He said, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart. Oh, if I could count the times when I shook my brother's hand and stabbed him in the back. <laughs> With resentment. Hated my brother in my heart. You see, I don't, I don't teach this this morning because I don't have any experience with it. This is the way I used to live. One of the heaviest burdens you'll ever carry in life is a grudge. Obviously then resentment's not a very logical, sensible alternative to forgiveness. Let me say before I go to the, ne the next and last one, but the greatest test you'll ever face is how to handle people that mishandle you. <laughs> oh, have you ever been done wrong? Mm -hmm, I have. Have you ever hurt? Oh, yeah. You know, and the people that hurt the most are the people you respect the most, the people you love the most, and maybe they don't even realize they've hurt you or said something that, that actually damaged you. What did you do? Well, I crawled away in an altar and died. That's the safest recourse, Brother Riggins. Because I know my nature. I wanted to crawl my way down inside and punch my way out. But you can't do that. You've got the Holy Ghost. You can't do that and have Jesus. How are you going to handle people that mishandle you? So the last alternative that I have here, by no means the only alternatives, but it's reservation. You know what I'll do? I'll just live and let live. I'll just not hurt him, not hurt her. I won't hate them. Uh, I just won't have anything to do with them. I'll just ignore them. You stay on your side of the church and I'll stay on mine. And when it comes time to shake your lovely little hand, I'll go the other direction. I'll just avoid you. 
I'll just hold you in reservation and think, you burned me once, you'll never get a chance to burn me again. Now, don't sit out there and tell me you've never thought the same thing. I know better. I'll just pretend that you're not even on the planet. How's that? Well, I'm certainly not going to try to restore the relationship I had or the friendship I had with so-and-so. I'm just going to hold you at arm's length. I'll smile across the pew, and that's about as close as I'm going to get to you. Well, why? Why are you acting like that? Because they hurt me, and I'm not going to expose myself to hurt again. You get that? Oh, uh, well, does God really require us to reach out and restore and resuscitate a relationship that's dying and give CPR to it? Well, let's look what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, Jesus said, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Whoa, I like that part of it. Jesus, I really like that part. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now hang on a second, Jesus. This is getting kind of radical here. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Now, if they did that in the New Testament, that guy would be leaving the court naked. And what Jesus is saying, it's better to leave someplace naked and let them know you're really a Christian than keep your clothes on. That's pretty radical. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Them Roman soldiers could compel those Jews to go nine uh, uh, 999 steps and at the thousand step that Jew could pitch that Roman's backpack off and make him carry it himself but Jesus said if he asked you to go a mile a thousand stadia go two thousand stadia you've heard it said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy but I say unto you love your enemies hang on now Jesus wait a second Got to be another way. Bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them to spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, wait a second. Listen, I can buy all this stuff about talking in tongues and I can buy long sleeves and all that stuff, but now you're getting, you're, you're, you're getting too close to my hog pen here. Listen, you really expect me to do this? If we're going to the same heaven, you're going to have to. You know, Brother Reagan, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think everybody's going to heaven, but I'm just not sure how long some people's going to stay. I want to stay. We're all going to appear for the white throne judgment, but I want to stay. And if we're going to stay, we're going to have to do this stuff, church. How can I pray for my enemy? How do I love my enemy? What do I have to do to behave this way? You said in the 45th verse that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Well, I may have to have my life disrupted in order to fulfill Jesus' teaching. You know, I can't be like I've always been if what the way I've always been hasn't pleased God. I've got to change. So that's why he said, 
if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 12, and I got to hurry here. Uh, he said, dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. You know, Paul, why did you write that? Man, I, I was planning on, you know, just settling the score. Paul said, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Look what he said. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hungry, feed him. If he hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, I think I told you there's three things we ought to take with us every day. We ought to take a censer. You know, that represents worship for God. And we ought to take a basin uh, so we can wash our brother's feet. And we ought to take coals that we can heap them on our enemy's head, which represents us praying for them. That's what he said, pray for them. You know, there's things that God expects us to do that sometimes we just slip through life and we don't even bother with them. God is much better at doling out vengeance than you and I will ever be. So obviously, logically, uh, reservation is not an alternative for forgiveness. And so, let's see. You and I, we cannot afford not to forgive someone who's done us wrong. You think about this. A young man being counseled by John Wesley said it like this. He said, I will never forgive him. Wesley replied, then I hope, sir, that you never sin. <laughs> Problem, if we refuse to, to, to forgive someone who sinned against us, is that we burn the very bridge over we must pass someday ourselves. We all need forgiveness. And if I read the Bible right, he said, you shall reap. If you sow it, you're going to reap it. Right? You're going to reap what you sow. So if I sow forgiveness, I'm going to reap it in abundance. Oh, I got to hurry here. We'll jump, jump down here to the end. Uh, what is forgiveness? Let's, let's talk about this for a second. Forgiveness is not just taking the knocks and shrugging off the hurt, and sticking it in a room somewhere, and padlocking the door, and hope that all of those bitter, hateful, nasty feelings never get out. That's not forgiveness. It's not just overlooking the offense and saying, well, they're just dumb. There's a lot of dumb people in the world, okay? And I'm not trying to be rude. There's just a lot of dumb people. They do dumb things. Now, you and I, we laugh about it, but there's a lot of stupid people. Why are they stupid? Because they're uneducated, maybe. Maybe because they lack experience. Maybe they're young. But you can't fix that. I can't fix that. It just takes life to teach them. But listen, we, we just can't overlook it. We've got to deal with it. Neither is forgiveness just simply forgetting. Forgetting is the result of forgiveness. But it's not forgiveness. It is perhaps the most difficult voluntary decision we are ever called upon to make because forgiveness denies us of our rights. 
I have a right to feel this way. Do you really? Oh, my rights, my rights. You know, I do read the news occasionally, and everybody's screaming about their rights. <laughs> uh, well, when you live for God, you realize you have to lay your rights down. If you're going to be a bond servant of Christ, you have no rights. You have no name. You have no occupation but to serve him. So um, the idea that I have my rights, it doesn't, it doesn't fly. Justice asks the offender to pay, but forgiveness says, I'll pay. I'll suffer. Forgiveness pays a tremendous price. Accepts consequences of wrongdoing that they didn't do anything wrong, but they accept it anyway. And it lets the other party go free. It's not necessarily a receipt of payments, but the unwarranted cancellation of debt. How many times have I had to forgive someone? <laughs> a bunch. Why? Because I've been forgiven a bunch. Someone asked me a while ago, said, how in the world can you stay married to the same woman for 47 years? And I said, well, it's pretty easy. I don't know if I could find another one that would forgive me as much as what she has. <laughs> Amen. Oh, listen. This, this forgiveness stuff, there's not a situation that happens that forgiveness can't help you with it. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. Let's, let's hurry. Let's hurry. Let's hurry. You never get, you never get to preach everything you, you have written down anyway. But let me, let me close by saying this. You go to the Old Testament and you read about, you read about the labor. There really isn't that many measurements, how wide it was, how tall it was. It tells how many baths, I think, unit measurement for liquid back then, how many baths it was, I think. But, the idea behind no measurements for it was because of what it represents. Now, I know it's taught that that labor represented baptism in Jesus' name. If you want to believe that, that's okay. But I think of what Paul said when he talked about washing of water by the word. I think about what Jesus said to his disciples that night in the garden. You're clean to the word which I've spoken to you. And you know, Brother Riggin, this is what kind of, Settles it for me. The first thing a visitor does when they come here or to an apostolic church anywhere is they don't call in the baptismal tank and you baptize them. No, no, no. You get a chance to preach the word to them. And God begins to wash them with the word. And so, so this idea of, of endless washing is, is in this labor business. And then he talks about the mercy seat. Now, if you read that, in Exodus, he, he talks about a width and a, and a length, but he doesn't talk about a depth. And there's a reason for that, I believe. I think that his mercy has no, no measurement that you could hang a weight and, and find the, the depth of it. It's just endless. That's why he said his mercies are new every morning. His compassions fail not. See, 
if, if, I, if I love my brother, if I love my sister or my family, if I really love them, have compassion on them, then my mercy, if I'm going to be like God, has to be new every morning. Start with a full bag every morning. Brother, I don't know if you live with your brother or not, but if you, if you do or you don't, you're going to need a full box of mercy when you're around him. And you know what? He's going to need a full box when he's around you. That's, that's just common, common to God that there's no depth to his mercy. It's just endless. Uh, let's, let's, let's finish up this thing here. Okay. <clears throat> he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, if you really forgive someone, and you expect God to forgive you the same way, that's, that's how he's going to do it. So, if you, well, I'll forgive this part, but I'm not forgiving you for that part. That's what God's going to do. And guess what? If that's what he does, you're not going anywhere uh, for very long. You might go to heaven, but you ain't staying. So it's better when you forgive someone to empty your heart out of all of those adverse feelings, those feelings of bitterness and blah, 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 the vengeance and all that stuff. Because we want him to forgive us, right? Why don't you stand this morning? I, I, wanna, I want you to, to think about it because I want to help you today. There's a lot of hurt in the world. And if you've never been hurt, I want to meet you after church. I won't shake your hand. But you know what? Life is full of hurts. And it's not going to stop today. Tomorrow you're going to be hurt again. You're going to be hurt until Jesus comes. And the best thing you can do is just say, Lord, I, I forgive you. But what about if someone hurt me, brother, and they're dead? <laughs> you know what I've done, Brother Regan? I've literally done this. I've walked to their grave and stood over their grave and say, listen, you dirty rascal. You caused me nothing but grief and heartache and pain, but I forgive you. Even if you can't hear me, I still forgive you. Because you know what? It's not important if they say, I forgive you. It's important for me to say, I forgive you. But you don't know, you don't know, you don't know the depth of pain. You don't know, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I'm going to be 68 years old here coming up in October, and I can guarantee you one thing, I've, I've, I've had a lot of hurt. But you know what I realized? If I could take vengeance, it wouldn't, it wouldn't free me from the hurt, wouldn't free me from the pain. Brother Riggin, there's nothing like forgiveness. So if you're here this morning and you've never had Jesus forgive you, all you have to do is ask Him. Pretty simple. Well, how do I do that? I've never talked to God. Well, you just say, Jesus, you know all them sins they're talking about? God, I probably did every one of them. And if I did or didn't, please forgive me anyway. 
there's a God in the house that's in the business of forgiving sin. He's in the business of washing and making clean no matter how dirty you feel you are, no matter where you've been or what you've done. doesn't matter to Him. So how do you know that? Because if He can do it for me, He can sure enough do it for you. Why don't you lift your hands as your pastor comes.